You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. And here is a question for all of you. Is work-life balance even possible? It's a question that we have asked several times here on Her Money. It's a question that I've dealt with in my own life. My typical answer is not on the same day. I tend to feel that there are some days I'm really good at work and there are some days I'm really good at home and there are very few days where both of those things happen at once. But I'm always open to making things better in my own life and particularly in your life, which is why I'm so excited that work-life wellness expert, best-selling author Samantha Edis, is here with me today. You may have heard her on her nationally syndicated call-in radio show, Working Mom's Lifestyle, or seen her on the Today Show. She's out with her new and fifth book. It's called the pie life, and you want to think of that pie as different sections of your life. It's a guilt-free recipe for success and satisfaction. She's joining me by phone today. Hi, Sam. Hi. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Where are you? I am in Los Angeles. I just returned from a 15-city book tour, um, and it's great to be home for a little bit. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. How did that go? It's been great. I mean, all over the country, I feel like I get to collect women's stories. And what's amazing to me is that no matter what city I'm in, whether it's Minneapolis or Seattle or New York, we all tend to have the same issues and the same problems. We're much more united than we realize. It is so true. So I love this visual of a pie for life. How did you come to it? Well, I was working with so many women um, on their personal brands. So about 12, uh, 15 years ago, somewhere in there, I started a company that was focused on personal branding. And over time, I realized that you couldn't talk to women about their personal brands without also addressing the elephant in the room, which was how they were managing their personal and professional lives. And then in the last 10 years, I've also had three children and So in the last, I would say, six years, I've just exclusively focused on work-life balance and really digging in and trying to understand what the obstacles were and what could make things better. And what I realized is that we have no healthy framework for thinking about work and life. We have three really faulty frameworks. And so I decided that I should, you know, based on my work with so many women, I should come up with a new paradigm for thinking about it, and that is the pie. And so what is your, I mean, with three children, with a thriving career, with a number of books and considerable travel, what does your pie look like? So what what I realized is that the most fulfilled and happiest women 
are involved in six or seven areas of their life, not just two or three. And I definitely live that. And so these seven slices I have in my pie, which I recommend everyone have in their pies, give or take kids, because you can have a fulfilling life without kids. But my pie is made up of my career, my kids, my partner, my um, hobbies, my community, my friends, and my health. Now, that doesn't mean I'm strong in all those areas, but the important thing is to acknowledge that all of those slices exist. And even if, you know, hobbies or community is a sliver today, by putting it on your pie, you make a goal for it. And so that's the idea is that instead of beating yourself up on how much time you're spending in each slice, because... You know, we're probably pretty rational about how we're spending our time. You probably couldn't spend any less time at work and be successful. You probably couldn't spend any less time caring for your sick parent or, you know, with your kids. And so instead of beating ourselves up on our time, instead it's saying, okay, let's make a goal for each of these slices and then evaluate our success based on how we achieve those goals. And so is your goal then to balance your pie. Do you like that word? I know there are believers and non-believers. Yeah, I don't, I don't, the reason I use the term work-life balance a lot is because that's the term that women gather around and men now too. But it's really the problem with balance is that for a scale to be balanced, it has to be equal on both sides. And anyone with a thriving career is not spending equal time at work and at home. And so it sets us up for failure. So I really dislike that. Um, but at the same time, it is a term that we all understand and it unifies us in some way. But it's, it's really something that we should not be striving for. And so, you know, it's not about having it all. It's about managing it all. And um, after, you know, even the women in my book, I interviewed 150 women for this book from Shonda Rhimes to Gail King and Sally Krawcheck. And what I found is that they really spend very little time feeling guilty and they spend a lot of time in all of these different areas. And so anytime you're spending, you know, all of your time at work or all of your time parenting, you're really not having a life that makes sense. So you want to be taking bites of each of these slices for a delicious life. You know, it's interesting what you say about guilt. I had a conversation years ago now with Susie Welsh, who was a previous guest on this show, and she told me guilt is a useless emotion. It is a waste of your time. And I've tried it's really funny hard. You say that because I, I actually, Susie's in my book, and I do have a big guilt story around Susie. She is, yeah, she talks about that so wonderfully. And yeah, I, I love the way she talks about guilt. I'm wondering, because, you know, I, I listen to her. I think she's absolutely right. And yet, and maybe it's one of those things I can just blame on my mother, who I love. But I have trouble ridding my life of guilt. Do you have a strategy for getting rid of it? I do. And I would say, by the way, that it's the number one problem across the country with professional women is guilt. And I guess all women. But men just don't spend that much time feeling guilty and we waste so much time on it. And there's a few things. One is I always say, put yourself in their shoes. The next time you have dinner with a friend, what if you learned that they were only there because they felt guilty not being there? How would that make you feel? So anytime you are the recipient of a decision that's based on guilt, it would make you feel terrible. Terrible. Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So that's awful. one way to eliminate guilt. The other thing is to realize that 
when you're feeling guilty, literally no one is winning and someone is losing. And I would argue more than one person. So you're losing because it affects your stress and your health. And that, of course, impacts your kids and your partner and your friends and anyone around you. So, you know, anytime we're doing that to our bodies, it's a bad thing. And then the third, I think the best preventative measure um, to, to reduce guilt is to be present wherever you are. So, so let me give you an example. When I was first, I had my first two daughters and I would leave every time I had to go on a business trip, I felt so guilty mm-hmm. and I would leave these extensive color coded manifestos for my husband. Like I would probably spend two or three hours the night before my trip on them. And I left feeling great because, you know, there were no T's uncrossed and I's undotted. Like I had, I'd done everything. I told them what snacks to feed everyone and what everyone had to wear and what activities. And I, and one day my husband turned to me and he said, your color coded manifestos make me feel like a buffoon. There is nothing you do that is that complicated. I can shadow you for two days and learn how to make a lunchbox. Let me just do it, you know? And and I realized that those color-coded manifestos were for me, not mm-hmm. for anyone else. They made me feel better, um, and they alleviated my own guilt. And so from that day forward, I kind of made it my mission that instead of focusing on that, I was going to focus on filling up every moment of my calendar when I was away on a business trip so that I wouldn't have any gaps. So I would, you know, if I was speaking, let's say at the Massachusetts conference for women, I'd organize a dinner the night before for five of the speakers, or, you know, I would see an old friend in Boston, I would fill all of my time. And that made it so that when I returned, after having such a productive trip, it was a lot easier for me to turn off work and just focus on my kids. And that really works. So if you're giving 110% of the office, it's so much easier to go home and shut that off. If you're with your kids at night and you're turning off your phone and you're not checking email for two hours and you're literally just gazing into their eyes, listening to them, engaging with them, that is worth so much more than eight hours of distracted parenting. And the next day you can go to work without, you know, that weighing on you. That is so helpful. Being more present is something that I'm working on this year. I had a, a very interesting and wonderful conversation with Shauna Nyquist on an earlier episode. Um, she wrote the book Present Over Perfect. And so all of these tips are going to really help me be more where I am. And I hope help our, our listeners do the same thing. I want to continue um, this conversation about women and work and how to make both of those things work better for all of us. But before we do that, let me just tell everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives. We all deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Sam Edis. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married or divorced or starting a new career. And again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. We're talking with Samantha Edis. Her new book is The Pie Life. Sam, where does money fit into the pie? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because even just hearing Fidelity's slogan makes me so happy (laughs) Um, because I think that one of the, the important things about the pie life is it starts from the premise that all women need to have some career at all times. 
And there are so many financial implications to leaving the workforce that we don't talk about. And instead, what we do to women, and I actually believe based on your last question, I mean, I do think that the guilt starts really early and it starts in the moment we're pregnant as moms, right? From the moment we're pregnant, people will look at us and say, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep working? Or are you going mm-hmm. to stay home and focus on your baby's sleeping and eating schedule? And we never, ever say that to a man who tells us that his family is expecting. That's right. So, you know, from that moment, it sort of, it, it plants this question in our heads of, well, should I be staying home? And the financial implications of staying home are really grim. So if I could wave a magic wand and make it so that the workforce allowed us to dip in and out for the first five years of our kids' lives for men and women, I would, but that's not the reality. The reality is that if a woman leaves the workforce for one year, she loses 18% of her future earnings forever. If she leaves the workforce for three years, she loses 38% of her future earnings forever. And 90% of women who take time off to raise kids want to eventually go back. And unfortunately, only 40% of them will ever again find a full-time position. Wow. So what we really have to be saying to women is, are you going to work or are you going to stay home forever? Because the odds of them getting back to work are worse than the toss of a coin. I got to tell you, so I'm a little older than you are. My kids are substantially older than your kids are. They're both either in college or out of college. I've had so many conversations with my friends who did step out of the workforce to raise children, raised amazing children, but who are now really struggling to get back in. And and these are women with graduate degrees. They are women who had thriving careers at one point. And the frustration at being so under utilized and in some cases yeah. underemployed and thinking that they only can start businesses that don't necessarily make the most of their skills is just, I mean, it's palpable. It's heartbreaking. I had a woman come over to me. I was speaking at the 92nd Street Y a few weeks ago, and a woman came over to me afterwards, and she said, I live in an affluent community in Connecticut, and when my kids were younger, all of the moms would say to me, oh, I feel so sorry for you that you have to go to work. And now that her kids are teenagers, those same moms are coming up to her and saying, I'm so jealous of you that you get to go to work. That's my life. I mean, that is that is my life. That's exactly what I went through. And I changed the conversation with my own kids a number of years ago, and it was very, very helpful to me. And again, this is an idea that I stole from somebody. I stole it from Jamie Lee Curtis. I heard her. You mentioned the Massachusetts Conference for Women. I was at the California Governor's Conference for Women several Mm -hmm. times when Maria Shriver was running it. And Jamie Lee Curtis spoke several times. But once she said, don't tell your kids that you have to go to work. The minute the words mommy has to go to work come out of your mouth, you have just lost that discussion. You have ruined that discussion. You've made it a negative. Say mommy's going to work. Say mommy wants to go to work. I mean, frame it either neutrally or positively, but don't say mommy has to go to work. 
because yeah, I mean, there's I always you know there's an example that I give is there are these two you can be either kind of mom you can be the mom who is walking out the door in the morning and saying to your child I know I'm so sad I have to go to work and I'm so sorry and I'm so sorry I have to go to work and they're clinging to your leg right. Or you can be the mom that says, guess what, guess what mommy gets to do today? I get to meet all of these interesting people. I get to work on this project. And you're going to have a great day too. And what you're doing for your child in that second scenario by being unapologetic and even excited about what you get to do is you're paving the way for your child to one day find something that they love to do. And we forget, you know, when you ask the same women who are leaving the workforce, what is your hope for your child? Never in there is, I hope they stay at home and are financially dependent on a man. That's not part of their hopes and dreams for their child, but that's what we're modeling to our kids. And so I think it's so important to say, like, you know, those, and what I say to women is the baby years are so short, right? They're only five years until your child is in kindergarten full time. So you don't necessarily have to leapfrog five levels during those years. But if you can just stay in the game in some way, then you are a winner. So how do you do that? Let's be a little prescriptive here. Yeah. So one of the ways is to drop this quest for perfection. And and I think that you mentioned, and it's sort of tied into the guilt thing, you mentioned that woman's book that talked about present over perfect. I think it's so important that we look at perfection and say, is there someone on Facebook or at drop-off or at Starbucks or from college that we look at them and we say, oh, they have the perfect life. They have the doting spouse, the perfectly behaved kids, the great career, the perfect body. That person's life does not exist, right? No one's life is as you think it is. And we all ascribe all these features to someone's life, and then we try to frame our life to look more like that. And if instead we said, okay, here's my life. It's not going to ever be perfect. It's imperfect, but it's beautiful in its imperfection. So one of the reasons I'm such a fanatic about the pie metaphor is that the most delicious pies are not the store-bought perfect-looking ones. They're the messy, gooey, dripping over the side ones. Mm -hmm. And that's how your life is supposed to look. And sometimes we think, okay, if we, we, you know, we get into these emotional states where there's something that happens at work, we miss a kindergarten performance or we miss something and we say, oh my gosh, I just can't handle this anymore. And we stop working and then we focus solely on our kids. And then what ends up happening is that we spend, you know, we think that we're never going to miss a moment now because we're home. And even if you're home, you could forget that, you know, your child was supposed to wear a free dress on a uniform day or whatever it is. Like, there, there's so many things that we drop the ball on anyway, but we sometimes think that if we cut out slices, we can be perfect in a few slices. And that's just not the case. But if you accept the fact that every day is going to have messy moments and really positive ones at the same time, sometimes all in the same hour, mm-hmm. then it's a lot easier to accept your life and move forward. I also think, and this may sound like pat advice, and I don't mean it to come out that way, but I also think it's important to be really good at your job. Because if you're really good at your job, nobody is going to care where you are when you're doing it or at what hours you're doing it. I mean, I I understand that not everybody has the same sort of flexibility that, that I enjoy, but... I have a a young team, and they're really good at what they do. And so if they want to go home for a week and do it from across the country, I don't care. 
Right. And that's true. I mean, the, the better you are at your job, the, the more flexibility you have. But I will say, you know, I've been going around the country and speaking at companies. Um, and I've spoken at a huge variety of companies on this book tour. And what I will say is that a lot of it is there's no bad industries. There's a lot of bad bosses. And so if you're working for a manager that doesn't prioritize their personal life, they're never going to let you prioritize yours in any way. So a lot of this does come down to, you know, the kind of culture and the kind of person you're working for mm-hmm. um, if you're in corporate America. But I, I, I totally agree with you. The, the, the more high quality your work, and that's, that goes back to the whole present thing. If you're giving your all when you're at work, it's a lot easier to shut it down when you're not at work. And I do think that part of of the, I'm trying to equip women with saying, okay, here's how you're going to manage your life. It's going to be busy. It's going to be messy. At times you're going to drop balls and that's okay because at the end of the day, you still have a full, awesome life. And, you know, even when I've been on my book tour, I'm traveling a lot. And for there were about eight weeks in a row where I was gone like Monday to Thursday or Tuesday to Friday. And that's super unusual for me and very difficult for my family. Um, but even when I was home, I would make time to go on date night with my husband or have coffee with a friend. So, you know, there's really never an excuse to let all of the other slices go. I think that you can always make time for that full, rich life, and it works. I mean, today, for example, I'm doing the final touches on my audio book. I, I recorded it all last week. And my daughter, my older daughter, has just been super into this project. She likes to coach me on how to say things. She's really into acting. And so today she's coming with me after school to do the final recording. And she is so excited. And so I think sometimes you can combine your slices. You know, I'm going to be spending great time with my daughter and getting my work done. Or, you know, so a lot of times it's it's how we look at things and how we see it. And it doesn't mean that... My life is easy. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like anytime it's the end of the year, whether it's, and, and your kids are older now, so you're not experiencing it as intensely, but, you know, there's the end of your parties and teacher gifts and performances and the end of your work, which is so crazy. And it's, it feels like everything is happening all at once. Mm-hmm. And as Lisa Belkin, you know, from the New York Times likes to say, you know, we enter our careers for very rational reasons and we leave them for emotional ones. And so I just like to say to women, like, don't, don't make snap decisions based on how hard a day is or a week is, because that's not how your typical life is. It's how these moments are. And cutting out slices is not going to make those moments go away. That is absolutely so true. And you just inspired me to give my friend Lisa Belkin a call. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. It's been it's been too long since I have seen her. Samantha Edis, the book is called The Pie Life, A Guilt-Free Recipe for Success and Satisfaction. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you have a couple of copies that we can give away to our listeners? I would love to. Absolutely. That would be amazing. So if you've listened to this and you are thinking, I need this book, Tweet us at Jean Chatsky and we will send a copy your way. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the tips. I'm going to put them to use in my own life. Jean, thank you so much for having me. And we are back in the studio with your questions. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Good. Thank you. I have two questions this week, as always. The first one is from Twitter, at JMW Junkies. I'm not quite sure what that stands for. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Uh, She writes, when my son was little, we were told, 
a dollar a week for each year of age. She's referring to allowance. Yeah. So if your son is three, three dollars a week. Still good advice or do you think this is too much? I think it's too much. I think a three-year-old doesn't have any idea what three dollars is, although it's a nice round number if you want to get in the habit of giving some away, saving some for tomorrow, and spending some today, because one dollar could go in the giving jar, one in the spending jar, and one in the savings jar, and that makes that very, very easy. I tend to start an allowance around the time that kids go to school, because that's when they have access to things like a school cafeteria in some cases, and have the ability to spend money on their own without parental involvement to actually make choices about that. My barometer, and the dollar a week as it ratchets up with age, I think is okay. You can start a little lower with the kindergartner and build up from there. I think that the more important thing as your kids grow is to come up with a list of things that you're not willing to buy anymore, but that you want to give your kids money so that they can decide whether or not it's worth it for them to spend their money. Once it's their money, the bar that has to be cleared in order to make a purchase worth it in their minds is significantly higher. And when it's money that they've actually earned versus money that you've given them in the form of an allowance, the bar is even higher still, which is why it's so important that teenagers work. So come up with a list of what those things happen to be. As your kids get older, they can be things like manicures or some clothing or movies with friends or whatever you want to put on the list that then has to come out of their pocket rather than your pocket. The bigger the list and the bigger the budget they are managing before they go to college, the better off they're going to be once they're in college. Great. And a quick note on Twitter before our next question. We have a hashtag, hashtag HerMoneyPodcast. I'll find your question with or without the hashtag, but the hashtag does make it a little easier for me. Great. And our next question is an email from Mary. She writes, Hi, Jean. I've been a fan of the show for several months now and love the way that you're helping women take control of their finances. My question for you is, how do you know when you have enough money and savings that you can start investing? I have about 30000 in savings and my debts are paid off. Should I be putting some of that money into investments? Is there a that amount you should always have on hand in case of an emergency and any amount above that should be invested. P.S. This is a problem I'm very thankful to have. It's taken decades to get here. Well, good for you. And mm-hmm. you're there. Start investing tomorrow, mm-hmm. today. You are you are so there. Generally, you want to have liquid your your you know, two thousand dollars in an emergency savings account that you really know that you can get at. And then I start investing at that point, although I continue fleshing out my savings cushion until I have the three to six months emergency cushion that could get me through a job loss or something like that. Um, But you're there. So start taking your money and putting it into a mix of stocks and bonds that makes sense for your age and your risk tolerance. And Mary, because you said it's taken you decades to get here, I'll send you a new copy of Age Proof. It's not out yet. Age Proof is the book that I wrote with Dr. Michael Roizen. It comes out at the end of February. The subtitle is Living Longer Without Running Out of Money or Breaking a Hip, and it'll give you all the investing advice that you need to get you from where you are today 
to a very strong and stable retirement. So I hope you enjoy it. We'll get your address. We'll make sure that you're on the list. And um, thanks for your question. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. And thank you, Jean. Sure. Anytime. Thanks, Kelly. And on the heels of our conversation with Samantha Edis, if you're looking to earn more money in 2017, well, I've just got to say, who isn't? The problem is a lot of us are just afraid to ask for it. Just 43% of people have ever asked for a raise in their current field, and 28% are uncomfortable negotiating their salaries, according to Payscale.com. But get this, 75% of people who do ask get some sort of salary increase, which brings me back to one of my money rules, and that's If you don't ask, the answer is always no. If you're still not convinced, think about it this way. Your future raises will be negotiated as a percentage of whatever you currently earn today. So you want to be aggressive now so that your future income goes up and up and up. So in helping you thrive today, here are three steps to more money. First, Tell your boss you'd like to set up a meeting to discuss your performance and, and this is really key, goals for next year. Focus on those goals. Second, do some research on sites like Glassdoor and Payscale that have comparable salary ranges for employees based on location, position, and organization. Then, Back up your research by laying out numbers that allow your employer to see how you've contributed to the bottom line, whether it's sales or other metrics. And if your job description has grown, in other words, if you're doing more today than you were six months ago, call attention to that too. And third, practice. I'm not kidding. Stand in front of a mirror and talk through your points out loud. Say the numbers with confidence. You want to own them. And in the meeting, once you've stated your desired salary and why you deserve it, just sit there. Let your boss make the next move. Let your boss react. You don't want to make the mistake of negotiating against yourself. Finally, if a raise isn't an option, think about other things that you might want. That could mean development programs, education reimbursement, stock options, the ability to work from home, flexible hours, or more vacation days. Okay, to recap, you're going to set up a meeting with your boss to discuss your performance and your goals. You're going to do research on sites like Glassdoor and Payscale, and you are going to practice out loud in front of a mirror saying those numbers that you want to earn until you really feel like you own them. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me today. Thanks to Samantha Edis for some wonderful information and the books for our listeners. If you haven't tweeted about those yet, go ahead and do that. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And if you're a fan of the Q&A segments in this show, join us next week. It's a full blown out Q&A show. Kelly and I have dived into the mailbag. We are pulling your questions. We'll put them all together for you. We'll talk soon. 